Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Um, that situation where you've never quite got what you expected. Something, maybe you've, you've gone into something and you're surprised in a good way or you're surprised in a bad way, but it's just not quite what you expected. Um, I remember once um, when my grandma was still alive, she was quite a quirky character, and for Christmas she got me a bulldog clip stapler. I think I've got a picture of it somewhere if it's going to come up on the screen. It looks like this. I don't know if you ever used one. Um, I was about 11. (laughs) It's not what I expected. Um, I'm not even sure I really wanted it. But as I did my uh, revision for my exams, it did come in very helpful, so I I guess that was great. Um, But it's not what I quite expected. Um, And I don't know if you've ever seen on Facebook or or on videos those people that order that furniture really cheap and they think I've got a really great deal. Um, but it comes and it's miniature furniture. For, for, it's a toy or it's for a doll's house. They thought they got a great deal, but actually it's not what they expected. I remember actually when I was at university, I, I lived with a guy and he used to do all his shopping um, online. He ordered it from Tesco's every week um, and he was absolutely chuffed when he'd come in, I've got a bottle of wine for £2.50. I've ordered five. I was like, wow, that's very unusual that this wine is £2.50. Um, it was one of those ones that fills about a glass. Um, it's not what he expected. And it wasn't as great a deal, I think, as he thought it was either. But um, that was funny for the rest of us, nonetheless. Um, and just finally, I'm not sure if you can relate to this one. Um, if we have it up. Did anybody have these as a child? Yes. Mini Jaffa cakes in your lunchbox. Some, there's supposed to be six in there. Sometimes there were seven. And that was a good day. You never expected the seven. That was always a good start. <laughs> um, and then just finally, I remember um, after kind of lockdown kind of times, my family lived down south. I hadn't seen them. Uh, we hadn't all been together in almost a year. Um, and we decided that we would go and see a show together in London. We love musicals as a family. And we went to see Hamilton. I don't know if we've got any Hamilton fans. No? Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> yes, down the front. Thank you. <laughs> you always know. You always find someone. Um, and my dad, he's not necessarily a, a mu- musical buff. He, he'll come along with us, we'll drag him along, but he wanted there to come along for the family time. And I said, look, it's a musical about the Amer- American Revolutionary War. He said, all right, I'll come. I think he expected it to be a bit like Les Mis, maybe, Les Miserables, if you've ever seen that one. Um, what he did not expect was uh, a musical about the American Revolutionary War told through the medium of R&B and rap. Um, it's not what he expected at all. Um, but we had a great time nonetheless. It's quite a long musical, but um, I really recommend it. Um, it's a really great um, evening out. But we're going to talk this morning here um, about uh, a story in the Gospel of Matthew um, where I think a lot of characters had their, this experience. They didn't quite get what they expected. Um, and this is going to be a sermon that's from our uh, current series, which is about eight life-changing encounters with Jesus. Um, And we're looking at these encounters that Jesus had with people in the book of Matthew, um, which is in the New Testament of your Bibles. If you want to follow along with us um, this morning, we're in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. Um, It should come up on the screen behind me, if not, though. 
And um, I'll just read from that now. Yes, we've got it up. Brilliant. It said, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So if you've been here for some of our sermons earlier in this year, you may have noticed there's quite a lot of similarities between the encounters that we've explored so far. We looked at Jesus uh, and the leper, and we looked at Jesus and the centurion servant. Um, and some of the things that we might see again in this, in this passage as well is people recognising Jesus' authority. We saw the leper say to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He recognised that Jesus could do that. Then the centurion said, I am not worthy, but say the word and he will be healed. He knew that he could do it. He had that power. We've also seen Jesus healing. Um, The leper, he he was cleansed. The centurion servant, he was healed. And there's time and time again in the Bible, there are stories of Jesus healing people. This this, um, sermon is no different. We see Jesus healing this paralyzed man. But I want to have a look in this morning about Jesus recognising people's faith. And that's the first thing that happens in this story. Um, We've seen it previously. Jesus is amazed by the centurion's faith um, that we talked about last week. Um, And just like we've heard there, immediately in this passage, Jesus recognises the faith of the men and he responds. Jesus loves people coming to him with faith. But what does that mean? What does that look like for us? But I turned to the dictionary when I first looked, what does faith really mean? How do we understand faith? And it tells us, faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So in the story, we see that Jesus sees these men have complete confidence that Jesus can do something for them. They bring their friend, he's paralysed, all the way to Jesus. They're determined to get him in front of Jesus because they know he can do something for him. They can transform his situation. Jesus loves their faith and he sees it in people. And he wants you to come to him with that faith. Whatever struggles, whatever situations you're facing, he longs for you to bring them to him. Whether that's in prayer or in quiet times or in how we act, knowing that we've left it with Jesus, we're bringing it to Jesus. Not carrying it by ourselves, but knowing that we have faith in Jesus to do something about it. But I think in order us to have faith, to bring things to Jesus, there's a couple of things that we, are, um, we need to be able to do. And the first of that is to have humility, to recognise that we cannot do it all on our own. No matter what skills, what knowledge, um, what financial situation we're in, or even who we know, 
we are still going to struggle, we're going to go through hard times, and we're going to need Jesus. And we need to have the humility to recognise that Jesus is there. And even if we know we need Jesus, the next step is to recognise that Jesus is both willing and able and have that trust that he will provide, he will transform, or he will heal. And before we have that humility, before we realise that Jesus is both willing and able, it's going to be very hard for us to bring that to Jesus. Um, On Thursday of this week, um, I headed off um, to work, um, and I'm not sure if you guys know me, but where I work, um, I've got a little map coming up. I work in Bollington, it's south, we're the star, if we're, we're, where we are today, we're the star. So it's quite far south, it's down into Cheshire, um, that's where I work. Thursday this week I went off to work. Um, me and my husband Dan, we share a car, so um, I drop him off at work first, he works in Oldley Edge, which is right on this far, far corner, so we go down to Oldley Edge, and I drive across to my work in Wellington. Um, and as you can see, there's not a lot of main roads between Oldley Edge and Bollington. Um, and unfortunately for me, um, this Thursday, you might have noticed there was a little dusting of snow here in Stockport, but um, there was a lot more snow down in Cheshire. Uh, and uh, on my way between dropping Dan off and getting to work myself, um, I got stuck in the snow. Um, and it, I don't know how you feel about that, if that's ever happened to you, but um, I suddenly just panicked, I'm not going to lie. I had such fear, such anxiety. I was all alone in the car. Um, As much as you think, I've driven this road before, it's so different in the snow. Uh, I was helpless. I felt so helpless to do anything. I didn't know what the best course of action was. I had no food. I had no water or anything to keep me warm. Um, There's no way that I could help myself out of the situation. I couldn't see any options um, and I couldn't see a way out and I just completely panicked. Maybe you've not shared that experience, but how many times do we feel those same emotions for our own situations or the things that we are going through? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel isolated? Do you feel alone? There's no options. You can't see a way out. Maybe it's a relationship you're in a financial situation, physical, mental health struggles, or even grief? Do you feel isolated and helpless and alone? But are you bringing these things to Jesus? Are you able to have faith and confidence and trust that Jesus is willing and he is able? Jesus wants you to come to him. But I also want to encourage you those of you here that might not feel that about your own situation, but you can see your family, you can see your friends around you feeling these emotions, stuck in a situation that needs to change. Just as in the story, we see the man carrying their paralytic friend to Jesus. Bring your friend, bring your family, bring your neighbours before Jesus and have faith that he will respond. So if we jump back into our passage, um, we've seen that the paralysed man, he's been brought before Jesus by his friends. Um, I just think that's such a wonderful um, thing to dwell on. I'm not going to cover it in this preach, but maybe go home and think about, do you have friends that would bring you before Jesus in your time of need? So this this paralysed man, he's brought to Jesus. um, And I think it's pretty obvious why they've brought him along to Jesus. This guy's unable to move, he's unable to care for himself, 
And I think it's likely that he also felt isolated. He felt stuck and he felt alone. And at this point in the story, um, we've seen Jesus traveling around. He's been teaching all over the place, um, as well as healing numbers and numbers of people with just a word. I think it's really obvious what they're expecting when they come to Jesus with their paralytic friend. However, something unexpected is what actually happens next. Jesus says to the paralytic man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if this is your first time hearing this story, hearing this passage, um, and I don't know if that's what you're expecting Jesus to say. Um, I'm not certain it's either what the man or that his friends thought that Jesus was going to say either. They've come to get healing, surely, for their paralyzed friend. It's obvious what his needs are. But instead, Jesus has responded first by saying, your sins are forgiven. Um, And if we go back to me stuck in the snow, just imagine that situation. Um, If I had flagged somebody down, I think most people would know what I wanted their help for. Um, I'm stuck. Please help me. Um, And how would we feel if someone stopped and they they wound down their window and they said, don't worry, dear, take heart. I'm going to pay off all of your bills. Great, thank you very much. That is, that's very kind. That's, that's really great and all, but can you, not, can you not see I'm stuck? This is clearly my obvious need. But if we just flip that scenario just for a second, say the man helped me out of my situation in the snow. Great, I'm unstuck. I'm still going to go home. I've still got bills to pay. I've still got debt. I have a bigger problem that's still going to continue. Yes, my immediate need will be fixed, but I'm going to go home with a larger, ongoing issue. And in the same way, Jesus knew what the man needed most. He knew that that was the forgiveness of his sins. And yes, later he does go on to heal the man as well. He is not indifferent to the current struggles of the paralyzed man or of us, but he knows what he needs most. But why, why is this so important? Why is it his biggest need? Um, If you were here a few weeks ago, um, you might have been here when Luke was preaching, um, and he gave this great analogy of um, what sin was and why it was important for us to acknowledge and to to know what sin was. And that was, if you imagine us standing here, and if we imagine this sign as God, you know, sin is all the things that we've done wrong. When we've messed up, we've done stuff for ourselves, when we've walked and turned away from God's way. And it piles up like a pile of rubbish between us and God. There's no way we can clear it. And it's preventing us from having a relationship with God. And Jesus knew this. And although as much of us may think, you know, I I, I try my best, I'm a really good person, it's actually in our human nature that we will fail and we will fall. So that pile is going to build up anyway, no matter how hard we try. Jesus also knew this. And he knew that there was no other way to the Father without clearing that debt of sin. And he paid that debt for us. And only through his death on the cross, you imagine Jesus in the middle of us, that was the only way that we could have that relationship with God restored. So by forgiving the paralyzed man's sins, Jesus is saying, I'm making a way for you to be with God eternally. And for the man, that paralyzed man, and for us, that is our biggest, most crucial need. 
No matter what our immediate situation is, no matter what our current struggles are, we need Jesus and his forgiveness of our sins. If Jesus had done what maybe we all expected and healed that man straight away, but not forgiven his sins, that immediate problem would have been solved. He would have been able to walk. He would have his life back. But there would still exist a bigger problem that he could never deal with. And the same is true for us. If we can recognise that we are inherently sinners that need Jesus' forgiveness, no matter how big that pile of rubbish between us, Jesus says he will deal with it. It's dealt with. We are also forgiven. And knowing that we're forgiven, it, it sets us free. There's a freedom from guilt and that shame and that burden that we're carrying for that rubbish that we just know is our fault. But it's also freedom from things of this earth, from sickness, from death, when the kingdom of heaven comes. And Jesus desperately wants you to come with him with those struggles, those immediate needs. But first, he wants to set you free. He wants to forgive you. Now, the first um, reaction we see in the passage after Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven, is these scribes, these teachers of the Jewish law, um, being outraged by this claim. Um, They said to himself, he is blaspheming. In other words, who does this guy think he is? He can't say that. But what they were reacting to was Jesus pronouncing himself as divine. He was like God to say that. He was saying something only God could say. These guys knew that only God could forgive sin because sin itself was an act against God. So naturally, God only has the right to forgive this. It's like if I was to hit Michael in the face and um, Josh said, Jess, it's all right, you're forgiven. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Um, <laughs> that's not happened, it's not happened. Um, but yeah, imagine I, I did the crime against Michael, but Josh is stepping in and telling me I'm forgiven. What, what right has Josh to forgive me? And that's what these, these people are saying. Do you, it, what are you doing? This is not your thing to forgive. But Jesus knew they would have their doubts. They knew they wouldn't recognise who he truly was, which was God come to earth as man. So he told them, why, why do you entertain these evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want to show you that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, I want to show you that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that's what the paralysed man did. Jesus knew the claim he was making, and he wanted to prove to everyone that it wasn't just words. It was his real identity, and he had authority. And I love this passage, uh, like a lot of other passages in the Bible, where someone uh, is saying, made a comment to Jesus, or they've asked him a question, and, and Jesus doesn't tell them the answer, he just asks them another question. Um, <laughs> I find it, uh, sometimes it's frustrating to see this in the Bible, but I think what it does is make us think a little bit more. So when he says, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk, we have to think, What is the answer? And I think there's a lot of different ways that you can answer, but I think all of them amazingly reveal Jesus' true identity and his authority. So if we think, what is easier to forgive? Sins or to do healing? We could say both statements are easy to say, 
I can say whatever I want. I can say I'm so-and-so. I can say I can do this. I can say I can do that. But it kind of means nothing. It's easy to say, but only God has the power for it to come to pass. We might say it's easier to forgive someone than it is to do healing. There's no tangible proof often that, you know, our sins have been forgiven. If I go around on the street to, to celebrate what Jesus has done for me and I say, my sins are forgiven. I know in my heart how I've been transformed. I know what my hope is to come. But someone could look at my life and it doesn't look any different. There, there is no proof. So we could say that, um, you know, that's something it's easier to say, but actually healing through miracles, that's, that's going to be the proof. And Jesus knew that. He saw the crowd. He knew that they would think that. He shows his authority to forgive by showing his authority to heal. But let's think about what was easier for Jesus to say. He had the power, he had the authority. On earth, he'd done healing with a word. He'd cast out demons. He'd transformed lives. He'd set people free. But for our sins to be forgiven, he knew that it would cost him his life. What was easier for Jesus to say for him to say our sins are forgiven he knew that it couldn't occur without him paying the ultimate price his sacrifice and his life how easy was that for Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane just before uh, Jesus knows he's going to be tortured and he's going to be killed Uh, in Luke we read this uh, in Luke 22 And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. God, if there's any other way, don't let me die. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But if it has to be that way, I will do it. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony... He prayed more earnestly, and the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It was not easy for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. But he knew how necessary it was. He knew it was our greatest need. And he loved us enough, so dearly, he desperately wanted us to have that eternal relationship with God the Father. That he would die for us. Clearing that debt, that rubbish, and restoring us back to the Father. In John 15, um, it sums it all up with this, this, this verse in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus knows that our greatest need is to get right with God, to have our sins forgiven more than any immediate or pressing situation that we have. He wants us to come to him, and he was prepared to give it all up for us. There is no greater love than this. 